Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, and uh, just a real short passage for you, uh, verse 9 through 46. So it's real short, and uh, it won't take any time at all to read it. Uh, but I, I wanted to, I debated back and forth about should we read this whole thing, and I, I think I do want to read this entire story. Uh, it's basically the big bulk of uh, Acts chapter 10. Uh, but let's turn there, click there, you can follow along on the screens as well. Uh, but let's listen to this powerful story, uh, and then we'll uh, talk about it here this morning. So Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 9, says this. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down on earth uh, by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men uh, sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one that you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come uh, from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to ask to come to his house so that we could hear uh, what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Then the next day, Peter started out with them and some other believers from Joppa, and they went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, for I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you all are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent me? Verse 30, Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, when suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and has remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I love Peter. He's got a sermon just like on the ready. You know, he's like always got a sermon in his pocket. So, so here it is. Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, uh, 
after the baptism that John preached and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went around doing good and healing those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross and God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now he was not seen by all the people but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. That all the prophets testifying about him, that everyone who believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit Uh, came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water, for they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, this morning we pray that as we gather together, that your Holy Spirit would meet us in this place. Lord, we've come from busy weeks, busy lives, lots of responsibilities, and there are certainly a number of other places that we could be this morning, and yet we have gathered together to sing our praises to you, to be encouraged by one another's uh, friendship and uh, camaraderie, And yet, also, God, to hear from you, that we might be formed and shaped into your likeness. So I pray, God, now that as we explore the the meaning of the text that we've read, uh, that our hearts and minds would be open to what you would want to say to us and how you would want to form us. And then, God, as we come to the table in in just a few moments, we pray that you would meet us there. Um, For this is the Lord's table, uh, and you are the acting participant. We come, God, to receive your presence and to receive uh, your word into our lives uh, as we gather around the table today. So God, be with us in these moments together. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I was on the roof of my friend's house that they call Simon the Tanner after a few crazy weeks. Jesus, the one who we had called the Messiah, was arrested and then killed on a cross. It's the typical death for anyone who threatens Roman rule. Uh, We thought after his death that that was the end. But on the morning of the third day, Mary, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, came up to us and to me and the other disciples and, and told us that where his body was to be, there was nothing but an empty tomb. And I thought they were crazy. So I ran to the tomb for myself, and sure enough, there, lying in the tomb, were folded strips of linen where the body should have been. And I don't have time to tell you all the details, but we went, but we spent time with Jesus after his death. We ate with him, and we walked with him, and all the time, hardly believing what was happening. And then he went up to the heavens. But before he did... He instructed us to stay in Jerusalem, for it was there in Jerusalem that we would receive power to be his witnesses, as he calls it, even to the ends of the earth. 
And if all of that hadn't been crazy enough, that's when the crazy stuff really started. (laughs) There was a rushing of wind and we all felt the presence of God in a totally new way. It It was as if God wasn't just with us, but God was in us. And so on that day, I felt compelled to stand up among the crowd and announce the good news, to tell the story of what we had experienced. And what I did, I wasn't expecting this, but when I just got up and announced this story, told the story as it was, 3,000 people repented and joined the way. And I don't know how any of this next part happened, but through the Spirit of God in me, I healed a man. I confronted dishonesty. I've even been arrested for preaching in the, the name of Jesus, but even that couldn't stop me. It was, I was compelled to continue to share the good news. And now here in Joppa, I've seen more people healed even of death. And can I tell you, I am exhausted. (laughs) And that's why I was on my friend's roof. It was time for prayers and I needed a break from everyone else. (laughs) Maybe you've been there. I was tired and hungry. And I think in your culture, you call this hangry, right? That's what I was. I I was, uh, but I was there and I was exhausted and so I began to say the prayers. And as I was saying the prayers, I had a vision. To tell you the truth, I don't know if I had fallen asleep and it was a dream or if it was a vision while I was half awake, I don't really know. The details of how it happened aren't as important because what happened changed me. I was on the roof where I could overlook the city. When I saw a sheet coming down from the four corners of the earth, imagine it, something like ropes appeared on the stretches of the horizon and lowered down a sheet full of animals right in front of me, four-hoofed animals, birds, reptiles, there in front of me. And then I heard a voice, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Given how hungry I was, I was certain this was a test. After all, I've heard Gentile rumors that bacon is really, really good. (laughs) So certainly this was a test, but despite my hunger on that day, I'm proud to say that I said back to that voice, surely not, for I have never let anything unclean enter my body. I was expecting in response a congratulations, you've passed the test. I even would have loved a well good, or well done thy good and faithful servant. But instead I heard, oh, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. You can imagine how confused I was, and so this same episode, three times it happened, and each time I said, surely not, I've never eaten anything unclean, and three times the voice came back, not with congratulations, you passed the test, but with do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then as quick as it had come down, the sheet rose up to the heavens and disappeared. As I reflected on that vision, I couldn't help but think about all the purity laws, all the things that we can eat and can't, all the things that are acceptable and unacceptable. It seems that the whole world is divided into clear columns of what is good and what is bad, what is clean and what is unclean. 
And even though my vision was about food, I couldn't help but think that maybe it also applied to people. Now, God had put all these rules in place. We didn't make them up. I didn't make them up. These rules were God's ideas. And what happened is that these laws brought a real sense of identity to me and my people. They were the very thing that made us distinct from a world of pagan gods. So what could this vision mean? Was God doing something new in light of Iesus? You see, this law had served a purpose for a long time, but could it be now that the law that God had established was being supplanted by some other basis of identity? Well, that's when I got the word that three men were looking for me, men from Cornelius' house. It felt right to go with them, so I did. Hello, my name is Cornelius. You all look like the religious type, so I might need to explain exactly who I am. I live in Caesarea, which is an outpost for the Roman military. I'm assuming that you've heard of the Roman military. It's the most powerful military the world had ever known in my day. Although I hear rumors that your own military surpasses ours, which is something that I find difficult to even wrap my mind around. Anyway, I, uh, I serve as a centurion in the army, which means I'm in charge of a hundred or so soldiers. And we are here as part of our occupation of the Jewish people. Now, I must admit, I'm fascinated with the religious practices of these Jews. In Rome, there is a God for everything. <laughs> and it's actually quite a lot of work to try to make sure that all of these different gods are happy with you and pleased with you. And it just feels like the life of Romans is... is filled with just trying to keep the gods happy and on our side. It feels like they must be, given the size of our empire. But if I could be totally honest with you, there are times when it feels like the main god that they worship is themselves and their strength. Maybe the god that best represents Rome is the goddess Nike, who's the goddess of victory. Sometimes it feels like my own country is drunk on the, on the idea and the God of military victory. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for Rome, and I'm happy to serve in its military. But these Hebrew people are so intriguing with their claim of one God. So I've been watching their practices, even learning those practices from my Jewish friends. The other day, I was participating in the prayers, and as I clumsily worked my way through the prayer liturgy, something extraordinary happened. An angel of the Lord seemed to appear in the room right in front of me. And I would understand if you are a bit skeptical of this story. If I was in your place, I'd be skeptical too. But an angel of the Lord said that my attempts at caring for the poor and the prayers that I've offered have been received as an offering before God. And that I should send for Simon, who is called Peter, who's in the city of Joppa. So what choice did I have but to send, but to send some of my, soul, my own soldiers to Joppa to find Peter? So that's what I did. 
And I was looking forward to his visit so much that I invited friends and family to my house in order to welcome him. And a couple of days later, he showed up at my door. And, and you need to know just how unusual this is. And this is something that Peter made sure that we all understood as soon as he came in. You see, I'm a Gentile and a Roman army officer. While I have been kind to, my, to Jewish people and I have Jewish friends, they have never been to my house because their law forbids it. And yet there was Peter, and he made it clear that he shouldn't, this shouldn't be happening. It was against his laws. But he, too, was following a prompting from God. And so I was eager to hear and to receive what he had to say that day. After I told him about my vision and that I was eager to hear what he had to say, he started in, and I could hardly believe what I was hearing. The first thing he said was this. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Those words alone stopped me dead in my tracks. Could this mean that I could be welcomed into this community, not as a converted Jew, but as a Gentile? That would change everything. He continued telling the story of a man named Jesus, how he had died and been resurrected, and how he announced the forgiveness of sins and now is Lord over all of creation. And this message moved me and everyone in my house so much so that we were ready to reorient our entire lives according to this truth. In fact, before we even had a, a, a chance to respond verbally, in that very moment, I was filled with a presence that I can only describe as God. And I began to speak in different tongues, a sign that the Holy Spirit of God saw this Gentile, this Roman army officer, as a vessel fit for his voice and his presence. That day, we joined the movement called The Way as uncircumcised Gentiles. This Iesus was Lord over all of creation and ruler of the nations. Praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about this narrative there was something that struck me. In order for the full purposes of God to be accomplished, two people needed to experience conversion. And isn't it true that as the people of God, we sometimes assume that conversion is only for those who have not yet professed faith? We assume that the end goal of the gospel is to bring people to the point of conversion. But in the book of Acts, neither one of these are true. In the book of Acts, for the purposes of God to move forward, we must be changed as well. And conversion is not the end, the end goal, the telos of the gospel, but rather the beginning. It's, it's a change of heart and mind that, that signifies the very beginning of a new journey, not the very end, not, and certainly not the end goal or the complete goal of the gospel. 
So Peter, the apostle, uh, through whom God had worked so powerfully, like if you read read Acts 1 through 9, Peter is central in almost every story. He is right in the middle of the mess all the time. And so God had worked through him so powerfully, but it was Peter who needed to have his heart expanded to include others. He needed to let go of certain certainties so that he could begin to work out the full implications of the gospel announcement, right? That he had to, he himself had to be converted, let go of some things, have an opened heart in order to understand and explore the full implications of the gospel announcement. And I would simply want to say to you today that in many ways, this mirrors our own lives and our own work as well. Author Will Willimon says this, if Jesus Christ is Lord, then the church has the adventurous task of penetrating new areas of his lordship. And we ought to expect surprises and new implications of the gospel which cannot be explained on any other basis other than the Lord showed us something we could not have seen on our own, even if the only thing we were looking at is scripture itself. Okay, that's a big sentence, I wanna read it again. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then the church has the adventurous task of penetrating new areas of his lordship, expecting surprises and new implications of the gospel, which cannot be explained on any other basis other than the Lord has shown us something we could not have seen on our own, even if we were looking only at scripture. Now he goes on to clarify this. This does not mean an undisciplined flight of fancy into our own bold new ideas or a pitiful effort to catch the wind of the latest trend in a culture under the guise of seeking new revelation. But rather, it means that we are continuing to penetrate the significance of the spiritual witness that Jesus Christ is Lord and to be faithful to his divine prodding. And I love this. Faith, when it comes down to it, is our often breathless attempt to keep up with the redemptive activity of God. Faith, when it comes right down to it, is often our breathless attempt to keep up with the redemptive activity of God. And then Cornelius, a Roman army officer, he also needed to be converted. He needed to move from the fringes of religious community into the heart of it because salvation results in the adoption into a community. That any time that God is moving and people experience this, this kind of spiritual conversion, the spiritual awakening, it, that God consistently is moving people into community. It isn't, in other words, people don't experience kind of spiritual renewal for the purpose of becoming isolated, but rather people experience this conversion for the purpose of then joining a, a community of like-minded people to begin to chase after what it means to, to follow Jesus Christ and to follow the way. And so Cornelius sitting on the fringes, having a conversion, needed to be entered into and planted into a community. He needed to be filled with the Spirit of God and begin to work out the implications of the gospel announcement for himself. Because the gospel, the implications of the gospel announcement are going to be different for a, a Roman Gentile army officer than it is for, for a, a Jewish person, 
right? There, there's nuances together that are going to go from two totally different places, but after their conversion begin to merge into the full exploration of the implications of the gospel. And I want to clarify at this point that this is precisely what the gospel is. It is an announcement of the lordship of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not primarily uh, a set of doctrines to hold or a list of things to believe. The gospel is not primarily uh, a way of ensuring a happy afterlife. The gospel at its core is an announcement that Jesus Christ is Lord over all the nations and the good news that his lordship brings justice to the oppressed. That's the gospel. And if, we, if, we're, if we're sharing any kind of gospel that isn't that whole thing, then we're not sharing the whole gospel. If, gospel, if the gospel is nothing but afterlife insurance, we have shortchanged the work of Jesus on the cross. It's about the lordship of Jesus and the good news of his lordship that brings justice for the oppressed. So to work out the full implications of that good news will require continued conversion and growth on our part as well as the part who have not yet believed in the good news. Are you with me, church? So I would simply, I would want to close with this. Which is the greater conversion? Is it the faithful Gentile on the fringes of religious community who's now filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized into the church as a Gentile? Or is it the Jewish apostle who let go of biases and advocated that the Gentiles be welcomed into the full promises of Christ and his church as Gentiles? Which is the greater conversion? I would argue that the, the greater conversion, or maybe, the more, maybe a better way of saying it, is the more difficult conversion was Peter's because of how difficult it can be to let go of our previously held notions, to let go of our certainties so that we might explore the full implications of the gospel. So my invitation to us today is this. May we experience the beauty and the power of conversion today as the Spirit of God works in our midst. And may we be set free from biases that are not in line with his heart and his kingdom. And may we experience freedom from the things that prevent us from experiencing fullness in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, this story in Acts chapter 10 is layered with so much meaning and significance. And I'm struck by the reality that even though this is an ancient story that took place so long ago in a world that feels so far removed from our own, and yet the interaction between human and divine, the human tendency, all those realities are just, they feel very present, very real, very current. And so God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us today in ways that uh, encourage us, in ways that lift us up, uh, in ways that move us more toward Christ-likeness. And God, we know that the work, uh, that work will be different in each one of our lives for we're each in different places uh, in our spiritual journeys. But God, would you be real to us today? Would you speak to us 
And would you move in our hearts and in our minds, we pray. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.